0: 21CL Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the program. You're listening to the Education Vanguard, and I'm your host, Michael Bull. Today, I talk with Tim Bray all about getting a job in an international school. Starting the job hunt for a position at an international school can be both frightening and exciting, or maybe just one of the two. Knowing how to prepare for the process and having an understanding of what administrators on the hiring end are looking for can be a big help. Today, I speak with Tim Bray, the director of EdTech at Chongna Dalton School in Korea, all about getting that coveted international school job. Tim, in his own words, peels back the veil on the hiring process, how best to prepare, and what administrators are secretly thinking before, during, and after an interview. Enjoy the conversation. <laughs> Tim Bray, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to talk about something vital today, which is getting a job. And I have a job right now, so what do I care? But there's a lot of people out there who don't. And I know that many of us or all of us have been in between jobs at some point. So the first question I want to ask you is, I'm ready to get a job or look for a job. What are some of the things I should think about first? Oh, I guess there's there's lots of things to think
1: about. One of the main ones, I think, is timeline. Um, I think especially for teachers who work in North America and maybe it's their first international experience, the timeline is much more uh, important for international schools. A lot of schools still go to job fairs, although I think a lot of virtual um, offers are being made now and interviews are being done. But a lot of people still need to go to a job fair fair to break in and in order to do that, it, they okay. happen earlier in the year. So if you're from Canada or the US and you're thinking like, well, I don't have to think about this until May. Actually, no, you need to think about it in August and it sounds crazy. But yeah, August this year for next year is a is time to start really thinking about things and having your fares in order, having your resume or slash CV up to date, um, maybe joining uh, um, one of the recruiting companies. If you feel like that's the way you want to go, uh, certainly starting to get uh, messages out to school administrators and, and communicating with them directly about being interested in working at their school, especially if they have openings for you. Those are some definite considerations to, to put in your mind right up front.
0: Okay, so first thing I think about is timeline, and if I'm in my home country, that's going to be radically different. So in the U.S., for example, I'd start looking for a job maybe in May, where in international world, I need to start thinking about it in August. Because it seems like a lot of people get hired right around December now for the following year.
1: Yeah, and, and that's happening a lot, like, th- and this gets into part of what I was talking about in my presentation at 21st Century Learning, through your personal learning network, if you if you have people that are working internationally, you start hearing, I would call the grumblings about jobs being open, like, really early. Like, in September, I already had people contacting me saying, like, hey, by the way, we have an ed tech position. Like, it hasn't been announced yet on our website, but we definitely have an opening. Um, and so people need to be thinking about that as, like, already by December, there's people making commitments for the following year.
0: Okay, so I'm ready to go. I got my uh, resume up to date. Uh, It's August 15th. What should uh, I be thinking about next?
1: Um, Like I said, at that point, you might want to strongly consider going with a recruiting company. Um, They they still do help. They are still a big part of the process. Um, But there's more and more options. It used to be that there were only sort of the two biggies, ISS and Search. But now there's Kari Sando and Associates. And there's a lot of smaller operations that are ran by just a couple people. Um, Obviously, going going with the big companies – provides a a vast majority of opportunities, but going with a smaller company, um, sometimes they, they have a niche market or, you know, it might be something you're really interested in. For example, I know a lot of my friends who are Christian educators want to apply to Christian schools. And so they have their own little network that you can apply to and just specifically look for schools like that. So in addition to possibly recruiting also, what kind of school do you want to work at? Where do you want to work? Those are big, big issues. Like I think people sometimes just, I want to go international, and then they, they jump into something without thinking about it, mm-hmm. and they find themselves in a school where maybe they don't fit in the best. Maybe it's not the curriculum they'd like to teach, but also maybe it's not a country where they want to live, and they just never thought about that until after signing the contract.
0: I remember in the old days, there was a they used to say, oh, don't worry so much about the country because everything's just a great big surprise and all that. But now with the internet, you think it's worth researching in advance where you'd want to be.
1: Absolutely. Um, and this is not to disparage any Middle Eastern country at all. It's not a comment on that, but I have, um, many female friends that that feel very apprehensive about working in some place like Saudi Arabia because they're like, you know, I don't want to have to wear a veil when I go outside into public. And that's something you have to ask yourself up front. Is this a place I'm going to feel comfortable? Is this a, is this the way I want to live my life? If the answer is yes, then by all means go out and explore. Uh, my first experience was here in Korea and I'm back here again and I loved it. Um, but that doesn't mean that it was always comfortable. Yeah, you, you have to be prepared going into it to be uncomfortable sometimes and to have a little bit of a spirit of adventure. But like, OK, I'm going to figure things out as I go. That's a big help.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier about the type of school. So when I think of type of school, I think of IB, AP, large school, medium, and uh, small school. Is there anything else that we should take into consideration when we're thinking about the type of school?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, one, you know, the International Baccalaureate, some schools are, are strictly IB. That's the curriculum they're offering, which is fine. But um, as a person looking for a job, do you have that experience? Um, if you don't, it might be very difficult to get that job. And that's something you have to be realistic about. Um, I, a lot of schools go with the, the common core curriculum. So they're looking at possibly having AP exam classes in the high school. Again, is that a, a curriculum model that you're comfortable with? And then there's a whole series of like British schools with with using the a, the UK system. So that has to be factored in too as to like where do I see my going maybe down the road, or even like right now, do I fit in with that, that curriculum? Is that something I'm going to be comfortable teaching?
0: Okay, I see. What about the difference between proprietary and uh, nonprofit schools? Yes, there's also a big difference there.
1: And, and to be fair to um, proprietary schools, a lot of them, it really, it really depends on who the owner is and how it's structured. Um, I, I, I have worked for schools that were technically for-profit schools and actually had a really good experience. Um, I have worked for schools that are nonprofit schools and also had a good experience but you do need to be aware up front that a school that's saying they're for profit plans on making a profit. Now the question is how are they doing that and and is it realistic for you to be a good educator in that situation? And a lot of that comes down to contacting people who are currently working at the school. I think a big red flag is if you're in the interview process or you're feeling out of school and you ask them, hey, can I have the emails of a couple of your of your faculty members that I could write to and ask a question, and they balk at that question, that's a big red flag. <laughs> that's <laughs> something wrong because they're still comfortable with you talking to their, their faculty members.
0: Right. So they're worried about whatever the truth might be that might come out or something. Right, right, definitely. All right. So I'm prepped up. Uh, I know where I need to go. And I'm thinking of attending some fairs. And then there's always the network effect. Uh, As an older person, I reach out when I'm looking for jobs almost exclusively to the network versus going to a fair. Uh, How role do you think the network plays? And if you don't have a strong network already, is there a way to build one in advance?
1: I think it's, there is. Um, I think it involves reaching out to different groups that like, for example, I'm, I'm part of ASCD's website. I'm a member at ISTE. I'm a member of a couple of different chat groups of people in Asia. And so those, those rich connections I have, that's where I hear about jobs first. And if you're someone who isn't or doesn't have that, then it's, it's good to start trying to develop one. Um, you can do that a lot with having an online persona, of course, as some kind of online brand of your own, um, but getting involved in like Twitter and finding out, like, hey, what chats are teachers in Asia, if this is a, an, a region you're interested in, what chats do they engage in? And start actually actively having conversations with people who are working at those schools and living in those in countries. And that'll help build that idea of a PLN. And, and anytime, uh, you know, if you're an English teacher, you know, joining some of the Twitter chats about English. Sure. Joining some of the Facebook groups about English teachers. Um, those are just valuable ways to build connections with people. And then once you start having those connections and the, the further you develop those relationships, that's when you start having people, like I said earlier, you know, contacting you in September and saying, hey, we know for a fact there's going to be an opening in our school. This person's already said they're definitely going to go. Um, you know, if you're interested, talk to this administrator, contact this person at the school. Those are are very valuable, especially once you're in a region and kind of established.
0: Sure. And I'm thinking to myself that if I start connecting with those types of people, those types of people are connectors themselves. And so they kind of automatically have an affinity for you because you share uh, a belief in how to contact people in in a wired or networked world. And perhaps then they'll step forward for you and, and give you an extra bit of information like you mentioned or even a job recommendation.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, as a matter of fact, at the, after 21st century learning, when I did this presentation about, you know, how to, how do I get my job? Um, a couple people approached me right after, um, one of the guys, um, We had been online connecting with Twitter a little bit before, before the conference. And then he was like, Hey, I'm going to be visiting Korea, like, you know, next spring. Would it be okay if I stopped in and visit your school? And I was like, Absolutely. And so, uh, Mr. Erdogan is his name. He stopped in with his fiance and they toured the school. I took him around. Um, and so you, you, you make other types of connections too, like not just, um, for jobs. I mean, I think he's interested in legitimately working here but he was just curious to see what does another international school look like what would a school in korea look like as opposed to hong kong where he is now and so there's also that ability like when you're as you're traveling you might be able to intersect with these people and and just have uh, a different take on what the country's about a different Mm -hmm. take on what the school's like and in fact before his travel to korea Him and his wife had talked about working abroad besides Hong Kong, and one of the places they had said absolutely not is an option for us is not Korea. And then after having visited here and having come to our school afterward, he said like, you know, actually my wife and I talked about it. We're we're actually excited. We'd like to try to apply to a job in Korea. So it can
0: also (laughs) drastically change your idea of what a place is like. Sure, because you have all these beliefs, and then they may be shattered when you actually get there for better or worse even. Yeah, absolutely. Very true. Oh, Tim, I want to ask you about competition. Now, it goes back and forth. I remember it was competitive in the beginning, and then it seemed like it didn't seem competitive, and now it seems competitive again. And I think for some of us, we try not to tell people in our home country about the international school world so that it's a deep, dark secret and we, we get all the advantages. So do you feel that it's a competitive nature or world out there right now when, it's, when you're out looking for a job?
1: Um, I think it's easy to find a job. I think it's difficult to find a job at a good school. That's how I'd say it. There's a certain number of schools that have a high reputation in the international scene, and I think for them it's highly competitive to get a job there. Um, Thinking about UWC, um, a couple years back I had applied for a job there, and and I I knew Carrie Lee Beasley was there, and I even mentioned to her, like, gosh, I never even got a thank you note from them. And she was like, oh, gosh, don't feel bad. Like 400 people applied for that job. (laughs) so That's competition. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, I mean, I think another time I applied for a job at at NIST, the new international school in Thailand. And afterward, I heard that there was like a thousand people that applied for that specific position. So, yes, there's competition. But if you're willing to, you know, I, I guess experience something completely brand new, try something completely different. There's also a ton of international schools. There's, I heard at one point, a couple years back, there was something like 300 schools a year being opened in China alone. Now, for some people, China's not a place they want to live. And some people don't want to work at a brand-new school because it does come with a bag of headaches. But it is a way to break your foot in the door of the international market. And it's always easier to get another international gig once you have international experience. Once you've been able to show an administrator like, oh, this person Mm -hmm. can deal with living in a foreign country. They can deal with the quarrels of like you know, working in a new school and all the, the mixed bag of stuff that comes along with that, that says something to administrators. If you can do three or four years in a place like that, um, a lot of people at the more established schools start to look at you as like, oh, if they can do that job for three or four years, then they'll gladly be at my school for a dozen years.
0: And that, that brings up a good point. I know like, if an administrator, like I work at an International School in Bangkok, and I, from my understanding, they get a variety of or a large number of applications, perhaps, for positions. And so an administrator's goal then is actually to get rid of applications uh, so they got to 100. They want to get rid of, you know, 95 of them and get down just to the five. So anything you can do, like you mentioned, to show that you should be in that 5%, such as networking with people or showing that you have an interesting background or experience, maybe will help you stand out. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of another focus of that presentation was I was talking
1: about mm-hmm. building your… Your brand and and having an actual online presence and what that brings to the table for you. Um, And some people have argued back to me, which I I respect and appreciate their opinion, um, that, you know, but by doing that, you also um, you might intimidate some people. Like if there is an administrator that you're applying to and and they're not very tech savvy and then you have this amazing website that might be intimidating to them and my kind of pushback to the pushback was if that's going to intimidate somebody that's not somebody i want to work for
0: right i mean what are you going to do you're going to show your lesser self in the hope that you please somebody who doesn't have the same skill set Right. And so I,
1: I feel like this goes back to the idea of not being the square peg in the round hole. Like, you know, is it a good match for the school? Is it a good match for you? And, and you should always feel comfortable and confident, even if it's like, wow, I really want to work international. But I, I have these three schools that I'm actually like getting an interview with. And I don't feel comfortable with any of these three mm-hmm. countries, or any of these three schools right there. Like, hey, put the brakes on it. <laughs> Just because you made the decision doesn't mean you have to do it this year. Um, you could wait, right? If that's really your goal and you really want to have a good experience, sometimes you have to say, "But it's not going to be this year."
0: Sure. Okay. Let's. Let's. We've gotten to the point where they love the resume and all that, and networks, and I've gotten to the interview. And you know, there's. I was wondering what you thought of this. What I've heard is that. People will often, uh, hiring people, regardless of where they're working, will often make a decision in the first 30, 40 seconds on whether they're interested in hiring this person. Uh, Do you think that's true? And if so, how do you make a good first impression? I mean, I would say I think 30 or 40 seconds is tough,
1: (laughs) but I definitely get a vibe. Like when I've done interviews, I I, I can say within the first minute, I get a feeling of like, "Is is this a person I... Get along with, mm-hmm. and would this person fit into to like my school? I, I definitely get that feeling from people. Um, now, sometimes that might change over the course of the interview. And I, sure. a, a person who initially, I was kind of like, "Ooh, I don't know," might really impress me with the answers to the to, to my questions, and then I might be like, "Oh, okay," or just the opposite. Someone who I felt like, "Oh, wow, this person really," you know, has a great personality, but then I start to ask those probing questions, and I find out like, "Ooh, but they're maybe not a very competent teacher." Um, so initially I think everyone gets a gut reaction. Yes, that's true. Uh, but I think it goes deeper than that for most interviewers. I, I don't think that people necessarily stick with that first one minute feeling, uh-huh. but that one feeling definitely has an impact.
0: Well, you know, the, the, you, the other saying is a, you, you can spend the first minute having the person like you or spend the next 29 trying to get them to like you. Is there a, a certain thing in the beginning though, that, that maybe you're not conscious of it yet that automatically attracts you to that person?
1: I, I, I mentioned this to people like I, I'm – this is going to sound terrible. Um, as an extrovert, I, I obviously – I find myself more easy to get along with other extroverts. That doesn't mean that I couldn't hire an introvert. I have. and doesn't mean I couldn't work with one. I do. Um, but it is easier you know, to get a feel for somebody who's very emotive. Um, now, that's what I'm saying is that initial feeling. I might – then I ask some probing questions and I might be like, oh, yeah, good personality but not a good educator. Um, mm-hmm. But I think smiling is a, is a key, right? You know, you, you got to put a big smile on. Um, you're you're kind of window dressing yourself to a certain extent. I'm not saying to not be genuine with who you are, but you have to know, like anybody who walks away from any kind of an experience where they met another person, I think it was worded once in a in a role playing game. It said, you know, average is not bad. Um, average is like, you know, you're a smiley person and you're average, people walk away thinking, hmm, that person was rather attractive. And you're an average person and you don't smile, people walk away saying, hmm, that person was rather frowny and ugly. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think the same thing. you need to put a smile on, you need to be, a, you know, very feeling confident about who you are. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you might not be an inexperienced educator and then you might feel a lack of confidence about your teaching maybe or you know your development as a, pro- a professional but being a genuine person and being upfront about who you are and being confident in that like confidence always makes people feel more comfortable with you that's just a reality
0: So you talked already a little bit about the presentation you gave at 21st Century Learning all about this. And we talked before the show about some of the positive feedback you heard from people maybe during or after. What was some of that positive feedback? And I'm curious, did anything surprise you? Um, I guess I'll start with something that didn't surprise me. A lot of
1: people thanked me because they said, like, you know, I'm, I'm pulling the veil back. On, on the whole hiring process and how and, and how an administrator thinks I think a lot of times um, people don't have conversations necessarily like teachers with administrators about this specific topic I think we have lots of great conversations with our employees but not necessarily about what was I was looking for when I hired you or what am I looking for when I hire somebody and a teacher being able to ask some quite frankly you know important questions but kind of uncomfortable questions about what should I do in this situation or why doesn't this person want to hire me or, you know, those kind of things where you want to ask somebody, but you don't know who to ask and it's uncomfortable maybe to ask people that you know. And here it was like, you know, I was in a presentation talking about these things and people felt like they could legitimately just ask their questions and feel like I'm hearing from an administrator, but I'm not hearing from the administrator who, who hired me or was potentially hiring me. i am talking to another person who's like an innocent bystander. Um, (laughs) Another thing was like um, – like I said, Mr. Erdogan who came up to me afterward and just said, you know, thank you. Like I really learned a lot. Like um, he he felt like he, he might be in a position where he's ready to move on to another school and so he had some questions in his mind because right now he's at the first international school he ever worked at. And so he's like – he, even though he had that job, he still had some questions in his mind. But what about the process and where should I look and who should I look to? And so we were able to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a lot of like, people are genuinely saying, "Wow, you know, thanks for, for talking about this topic. It's obviously important to all of us, but we so rarely get to have a candid opinion about it, or a candid voice saying, "This is what I look for as an administrator. This is what you should do as a person who's trying to find a job."
0: So yeah, maybe I could ask you to pull back the veil a little bit. So you've interviewed some people, and then you're probably in a room with other administrators talking about things. Is it just a bunch of I'm going to say guys in their 40s and 50s hanging around, throwing dice, and laughing and drinking, and making the decision mm-hmm. as to far as who gets hired, or is it more sophisticated than that?
1: I thank God it's more sophisticated than that. At least at my school, it's. More oh,
0: bummer! I, I like the vision. It's more fun, <laughs> more entertaining.
1: I would say it. Yeah, it is a fun vision, right? I mean, like I. I I can't say that there aren't schools where the old boys network is still very much in play. I think too, um, it, it changes over time. Like it, there's different administrative styles. Some people will come into a school and they'll they'll take whatever they have and move forward with that. And they'll say, "These are the people I got. Let me make sure that I'm." I'm working the best I can to make them better professionals and I'll move forward with who I have. And there's another school of thought that I think kind of comes from the CEO world of like, no, I need to clean house, I need to gut it, I need to get rid of everybody who was here before me and then, and then I'll just hire all the people I want. I personally don't lean in that direction but there is that. And so it's it's tough. We don't have a union backing us up as international educators and sure. so that's always to keep in mind. Um, I. F- I, one thing I like about my particular team is um, every interview is done as a team. So, if, for example, when somebody's applying to the middle school, well, they talk with Ben Summerton, who's our middle school director. They talk with Claudia Hong, who's our HR person. Hmm. And then they talk generally a department head from the department they'd work in. And if not the department head, if they're a crossover teacher, like maybe they'd work in the high school and the middle school, then the high school director will be there as well. So there's always kind of a team of people. So there's not one person making a decision. There's a team of people making a decision.
0: Okay. Well, Tim, we've come to the end of our time here, and I want to ask you a, a final question. And it may re- I guess it relates to when I'm making that decision as to whether it's the right school for me. Let's say, for example, I have a job offer or I'm deciding which schools to chase. Is there one thing, one single solitary thing, sort of like a value that I could keep in mind that will help guide me?
1: I think you've got to go with your gut to a certain extent. Um, If if you're having reservations about something, if there's little things in your mind – moving to a new country and moving to a new school is always going to be stressful and there's always going to be questions in your mind. But if upfront, as an instinctual level you feel like I'm super excited about this. This is going to be great. Then you probably made the right choice. And if there's still some questions in your mind, like ones that are flagging you from like like not signing, like you're, you're, you're teetering on the signing but you have your pen in the air and you're kinda like, I don't know, I don't know. You gotta listen to your gut. You, you might, your instincts might be telling you something that your intellectual side wants to override, but you shouldn't mm-hmm. ignore those instincts. You should definitely listen to them and, and feel them out. And if it means contacting the school again and having another conversation, whoops, sorry about the bell, uh, <laughs> no the school and having another conversation. You should feel comfortable doing that. If a school is really worth being with, they're going to put the time and energy into you too. And if you have some concerns, you should always be able to ask, ask a school and they should always agree. Like, can you, like I said, tell me a couple of teachers I can contact. Um, can you put me in touch with my department head? Um, can you ask can – you, can you give me some information from uh, – contact information for someone who's departing this year? Because that will give you a completely different insight. Now, you shouldn't necessarily believe everything you hear. Like I think you need to take everything with a certain grain of salt. But you should be able to find comfort in those conversations. And if you don't find comfort in those conversations, then you shouldn't sign that contract.
0: All right. Tim Bray, thanks so much for your information today on how to get a job out there in the competitive world of international teaching. You are most welcome. Thanks for having me. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com.